Awesome. Um, welcome. Uh, my name is Pastor Justin. I'm the senior pastor here at New Life, and um, we're in a series. This is our third week in uh, going through the book of Nehemiah together. And so let me just recap in case maybe you forgot or your first time here today. Nehemiah is a story of a man that has been blessed with a burden, um, a burden for his people. Uh, they're living, the Israelites that are living in Jerusalem, and they are being bullied and ridiculed. They are being invaded and ransacked, all because they can't defend themselves. Uh, the, the walls around the city of Jerusalem lay in ruin, and Nehemiah gets a burden and a vision, and he thinks, somebody ought to do something about this, and it might as well be me. And so he boldly asks King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, who pretty much was over all of uh, the Israelites in, in Jerusalem, and he says, Can you, will you send me to rebuild the walls? Uh, it was a big ask, considering he had no reason for the, for the king to say yes. The king says yes. Not only says yes, but sends him with letters of safe passage so that the other people that as they're going on their way to Jerusalem, the 800 miles to get there, um, let them go. He sends them with cavalry. He also says, yeah, you can have some free wood out of my forest, all kinds of cool stuff. And then um, he, he gets there and in chapter three, I'm going to breeze through chapter three. Chapter three, Nehemiah delegates different sections of the wall to different people groups. And um, if you read down through it, you'll see in chapter 3, this, this same phrase over and over again. It, it's the phrase, next to them. He says, you know, these people were working, but next to them were these people, and next to them were these people, and next to them, and next to them, and next to them. He says literally <laughs> over and over and over and over again. And we see people from all walks of life working right next to each other, right next to them. And what happens is really interesting because... And it flies in the face of our culture today because, I don't know if you noticed this, but we are very hyper-focused on individual identities these days. Anyone? Yeah. So like we, we seem to primarily base our individual identity on what makes us different, what makes us unique. And so our identities have different layers to them. Um, some of our identities are based upon like the color of our skin or our gender, our sexuality, our political preferences, our socioeconomic background, our level of education, our careers, like religious affiliation. We have all of these different things that like make me different than you. This is why I'm different and this is my identity. And what I love about Nehemiah is he literally just blows all of that out of the water and he's like, it really doesn't matter what, what your personal, individual identity is, because he was working with goldsmiths and clergy and merchants and families and even perfume makers. Nehemiah had these like, people working right next to each other that had nothing in common, working to do something that they seemed ill-equipped or unequipped to, to be able to do based upon their individual identities. Because Nehemiah was calling on the we of our primary identity. He was saying, your primary identity is not me, it is we. Your primary, and this, is, this is, flies in the face of our American culture, but bear with me. He's like, your primary identity telling the, is, like, is being an Israelite. You are one of God's chosen people. Do you guys see the ruined walls around us? 
we need to rebuild it. To which maybe he got a hand raise of like, um, I'm a perfume maker. And he's like, great, can you pass me a brick? Because it really doesn't matter what you do in your day job. Like, I'm just saying, like, your your primary identity is the we, and everybody has something to contribute to the rebuilding effort of rebuilding these walls in Jerusalem. In fact, it is the unity of these people that made it even possible for them to accomplish God's mission of rebuilding the wall. It's like the mathematics of the kingdoms. In, In the kingdom of God, God uses addition and multiplication to accomplish his goals. And in Nehemiah 4, we're going to see that the enemy doesn't use addition and multiplication. He actually uses, he uses division to accomplish his goals. It's, it's the mathematics of the kingdom. The very, very different ways of looking at, at getting something accomplished. God uses addition. The enemy uses division. And so we're going to pick it up in, in Nehemiah chapter 4. And um, I would just encourage you, like, if you've got it on your... On your um, on your phone, you've got your version Bible app, you've got your Bible with you. We're going to walk down through Nehemiah chapter 4 together. It is chock full of amazing stuff. Um, the title of my message today is, How Do You Handle Haters? Um, which I think is so good. And, and in a day where uh, of social media trolls and, um, and all kinds of people that feel like their opinion needs to be heard, um, how do you handle haters in your own life? Um, when, you're, when you're faced with opposition. And we're going to learn from Nehemiah. Verse 1, chapter 4. We talked about Sanballat. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will... Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? It's almost like Sanballat, this guy, and we're gonna see him time and time again through this book. He's like the original social media troll. Like if Facebook had a hate button, he would be spamming it. On, on Nehemiah all day long. And I want you to just remember this. When you choose to engage your mission, you will enrage the enemy. Why? Because haters gonna hate. It's what they do, right? Like, and so the devil doesn't bother you when you're not a threat, but as soon as you pop your head up and begin to walk and live on mission that God has put in front of you, you will have enemies that you didn't have before. And so what I, what's always interesting to me is that bullies always seem to have lackeys. Bullies always seem to have toadies, don't they? Have you ever noticed this? It's like, you know, in the Christmas story, Scott Farkas had Grover Dill and um, Sand Ballot had Tobiah. And these guy, this, this guy, Tobiah, is hilarious to me. Verse 3, look at what he says. Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side. So he's the lackey, right? He's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are they, what they're building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their walls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, is added for emphasis. Um, 
Tobiah is like the hype man for Sanballat. Like he's got nothing to say, but he wants to be heard. You know what I mean? Like he's like, yeah, yeah. Like he's just like chiming in. I, I picture him being about four foot tall. Like he's just kind of like, he's just hanging out with Sanballat, you know? Like, um, and and he's, he's got a lot, a lot to say. And he's just like piping in and like, and just throwing out these little barbs and stuff like that. But have you ever noticed that behind every successful person, there is a small group of haters? It, it just seems like it, it always happens that way. Like um, social media trolls, bullies, toadies, gossips, haters. Um, because insecure people will tear others down thinking that it will build themselves up. And that's what's going on here with, with this Sanballat and, and Tobiah. The hard part is that it's easier to dismiss hate when it comes from a disconnected hater. When, when you get a random comment on your Facebook post that you don't even know this person, it's very easy just to dismiss. It's, um, it's a whole lot harder to sort through a hater when that comes from someone closer to you. Like, have you ever had people in your life that don't like what God is currently doing in your life? Like God has maybe shown you a better way to live or like provided you freedom in an area of your life that used to be bondage. Or he's caused you to like start making decisions that you never made before or start prioritizing things that were never a priority in your life before. And it's almost like they wish that you were still addicted. Like we just miss when you were overwhelmed like me. I miss when you were making unhealthy decisions like together. <laughs> you ever have, like, I don't know if you ever had friends like this where you're just like, huh? Like you're not happy for the good things that are happening in my life? No, in fact, we've been talking and we're concerned about you. You've just changed. To which your answer should be like, no, I've grown. There's the difference, right? <laughs> And we all face these different things at different areas of our life and different people in our life. Um, and like I said, the title of the message today is How to Handle Haters, because we're going to look at, like, what does Nehemiah do? How does Nehemiah handle haters? The first thing he does is he prays first. He prays first. When you feel overwhelmed, pray first. Prayer is your first response, not your last resort. Because, and this is so important, haters will make you feel like you need to react to them. They, they try to demand it of you. You have to wrestle with my comments. You have to answer, have an answer for the hate that I'm, that I'm giving you. But when you are grounded in God, you don't feel the need to play in the dirt with a hater. You don't. Like, listen, and this is so important because here's the reality. Whether you're leading a family, whether you're, you're leading in, in business, whatever type of leader you find yourself to be, no leader is exempt from criticism. Your humility is most clearly seen in your response to it and how you react to criticism. And I'll just say this. When you choose to pray first, like before you spout off, before you give that text back, before you send that, send that, that post out, like before you react, when you pray first, you have the ability now to respond rather than react. 
Because when you react first, you are trying to fight your battle in your own power, and you will most likely try to use the same tactics that were used on you. And it doesn't work. And when you choose to say, you know what, I'm going to pray first. Lord, <laughs> I'm going to need some help here because I'm not liking this person and I'm not liking what's going on here. You allow God to give you wisdom and perspective. You invite him into the situation to fight your battles so that you can respond rather than feel like you need to react. Now, that all sounds good and holy and amazing. But what we find here, the funny thing is that Nehemiah, his prayer is not nice. Is not Jesus approved? I don't even think. Like, I don't think, I just kind of raw. Like, get ready for this prayer. This is Nehemiah's prayer. So I'm saying, like, pray first. I'm not necessarily saying pray like Nehemiah, but this is how he prays. He says this, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. That's his prayer. And he wrote it, like, after the fact. Like, yeah, that's what I prayed. Here's the deal. Um, This may not be the most loving prayer, but it certainly is honest, isn't it? And what I love about it, even though it's not loving and probably the best, but instead of reacting in hate back to haters, Instead of ranting to his friends, did you hear? And no, she thinks she is. I can't even believe it. Like, are you kidding? Like, Nehemiah chooses first to go to his heavenly father and just is real in prayer first to God. So Nehemiah has this authentic, like, burn them all to the ground prayer. And then what? Verse six. So... We rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. So Nehemiah didn't react. He prayed and responded. How did he respond? By not stopping. He just kept going. But don't you have to react to the haters? Like they said something. I, I don't. You have to defend yourself. You have to say something. You got to respond. You got to react to the. No, actually, no, you don't. Sometimes your greatest response to it is just continuing in what it is that God has placed in front of you. That's the answer. That's all the answer they need. It says that people worked. I love this with all of their heart. Can I remind you? that there is a difference between working hard and working with all of your heart. It is always about the heart. Always about the heart. You can work hard and get weary in doing good. Or you can work from your heart with all of your heart and go further faster when you work with all of your heart. And that's what goes on with with these guys. In verse 7, it takes a quick turn. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, yeah, yeah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry and they all plotted to come together and to fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. 
So it automatically, you, you don't react to the haters. The haters don't just go away. They form a hate club. And so now, now you've, got, you've got these people that are joined together with Sanballat and Tobiah. Now he's got the Arabs and the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod. Why? Because nothing brings people together like a common enemy. And so they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do we pay our membership dues? Yeah, let's work together to plan an attack on Jerusalem. How does Nehemiah handle haters? Verse 9, he does it again. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. How do you handle haters? Pray to God. We said that. But post a guard. Pray to God. But post a guard. Many times we think that prayer is just avoidance. Prayer is just inaction. Can I just, can I just remind you this? Prayer does not mean passivity. In reality, many times, prayer may need to be followed up by decisive action. In other words, put your trust in God, but lock your doors, man. Like, you're just going like, to leave it open and be like, yeah, man, I just hope that nobody comes in and just steals everything. Well, lock your door. Like, pray to God, but go to the doctors if you need to. Pray to God, but, but post a guard. See, Nehemiah is like, hey, guys, we need builders. Uh, yeah, what, I'm a perfume maker. That's okay. Can you lift up a brick? Awesome. We need you. We need builders. We need prayer warriors. We need people that are going to be lifting this up before God in prayer. We're gonna need, God, we need people that are going to be interceding, but we also need guards. We need watchmen on the wall. We need men and women of God who are looking out for the schemes of the enemy, looking ahead, standing on the wall, watching and waiting, vigilant, looking out for the attacks of the enemy. And... Verse 10, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. So they get halfway up, you know, they, they build up halfway, and then all of a sudden, it says the strength of the laborers is given out. Now, I don't think that their strength was giving out because they just got too tired to work. People don't just get too tired. Like you get too tired at the end of the day and then you go home and you sleep and then you come back and you start the new day. But there's something going on here. I think, I think when it says that the strength of the laborers is giving out is because they were halfway done. Halfway done is the worst place to be. Halfway done is what most of my projects look like at home. And every, every, every like wife in here is like, amen. <laughs> like halfway done is when the, the excitement wears off and now you just got to like push hard to finish that thing. Like, yeah, you put the sheetrock up and you taped and mudded, but like now you got to paint. Oh my God, you got to put the molding back. Oh, who cares about that anyway, right? Like, I'm, pre I'm preaching to more people than you think right now. And, and every wife in here should be like, amening, hallelujah. I should see some hankies waving in this place, right? Because halfway done is when the, oh, hallelujah. I see these, it's a Holy Spirit over in this place. Yeah. 
halfway done is when you just are tempted to be all done. Halfway done is hard. Halfway done is, is quite possibly the hardest place to be. Halfway done is when you say, oh, you know, someday. Someday I'll finish that. Someday I'll get back to the thing that I started. Someday I'll pick that dream back up. Someday I'll finish those classes. Someday I'll, I'll get back and, 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 I'll, and I'll finish that degree. Someday I'll, 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 I'll pursue that career. But then we get overwhelmed with discouragement. And the, the biggest point that I would say for you here today is this. So often, we think that our battle is with our haters, but your real battle is with discouragement. Discouragement is what is oftentimes the barrier between halfway done and finishing well. And when discouragement sets in, your strength gives out and we lose heart because it's always about the heart. Every single one of these builders and perfume makers and goldsmiths and family members that were building this wall, they all began with a vision of rebuilding a wall that they had never seen in their lifetime. They had a vision for something that they had never actually beheld and they began building with all of their heart. And then over time, the haters come out and the critics and the bullies and the toadies and the lackeys and they start to instill fear and doubts. And over time, it sapped their energy and they became discouraged because that was what their real battle was over, discouragement. In verse 10, you'll see exactly what I mean. The second part of verse 10 said, this is what they had to say. There is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall which is really interesting to me because none of this rubble changed anything. It, it, this, this rubble was the material that they began rebuilding with, but now this rubble is what is completely overwhelming them because when you are discouraged, it's very difficult to see beyond what is right in front of your face. Before they were looking down and seeing the rubble and seeing building blocks to restore a wall. And now they look down and they see the rubble and it is completely overwhelming and we can't do any more because there's too much rubble, there's too many things and I can't do this and nobody should. Why? Because they got discouraged. And they began to see the building blocks to build up something that they once had a vision for and now all they see is ruin laying down in front of them. And when you're discouraged, instead of envisioning a great future, you begin to envision your greatest fears. I just know this is how it's going to go down. I just know this is what's going to happen. Just, you, just watch. Verse 11. This is the playlist of fears that they just literally hit on repeat. Verse 11. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told us, if they told us once, they told us 10 times over, whenever you turn, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Their worst fears. Watch the progression here. It all begins with external opposition. Sanballat, Tobiah, bullies, toadies, Trolls, haters, a hate club, 
naysayers. They ridicule, they mock. Even a fox could knock that out. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, rumors of wars now, like, oh my gosh, they, they, they formed a club and now they're coming after us. But what stops us in our tracks from doing the thing that God has placed in front of us is when external opposition turns into internal insecurities. Because now you're paralyzed. Now you're, it, it has less to do with, with external opposition. It has everything to do with how you now view yourself. Now you're paralyzed with fear. You're paralyzed with inaction. You're paralyzed with doubts. And the things that once were building blocks are now just in the way. And, and when our internal insecurities are out of control, you literally, any external opposition is given a megaphone to scream in your ear. And so Nehemiah decides to combat discouragement in an interesting way. He, he combats discouragement by making people feel more secure because he realizes it has less to do with the external opposition and it has more to do with their internal insecurities. So what does he do? Verse 13, he says, Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. Nehemiah puts warriors at the places where people felt most exposed. Because think about this, a wall is only as high as its lowest part. A wall is only as good when the gaps are closed. And once the people finally felt secure and safe, it's only then that he battled discouragement with encouragement. He created safe boundaries. He posted guards. He put people in the gaps and the low places. And it was only then that he knew that he could now encourage them because they weren't scared for their lives. They just needed to be encouraged. In verse 14, look what he does. He says, after I looked over the things... I stood up and I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, he says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. How do you handle haters and fight discouragement. I love how he starts out. He says, don't be afraid of them. You know who them are, don't you? We all have them in our life. You, 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 I don't even, you know who them are. Like they, them could be family members. Them could be coworkers or bosses or friends or even enemies. You have them in your life. Like, them could be a faceless mob of likes and hearts on social media that you're contending for, right? Them are either ones that we find ourselves dependent on their praise or paralyzed by their criticism. You know them. They dictate what you do and don't do because of the fear of them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be moved with their withheld praise or by their outspoken criticism. Don't be afraid of them. Why? 
because their praise will go to your head and their criticism will go to your heart. Just don't be afraid of them. Secondly, what did he say? How do you handle criticism? How do you battle discouragement? Number two, remember the Lord. Can I just say that to some of you again here right now? Remember the Lord. Nehemiah redirects the people's attention off of their haters and onto the Lord. Why? Because the fuel for your future is in remember God's faithfulness in your past. It isn't like, oh, I'm just going to like tough through this and I'm just, I'm not going to be afraid of them. No, no, no. You need to remember what God has done so that you can have faith for him doing something new in your life. And I wonder, it just kind of goes real quick here. I wonder if Nehemiah riffed on this for a bit. Like if he just kind of added some more stuff, like, hey guys, remember the Lord. Remember when he rescued you from Egypt? Remember when, remember when we got up to the Red Sea and we didn't know how the heck we were going to get through it? Remember when he made a way where there absolutely was no way? Do you guys remember that? Remember when our enemies were swallowed up as they chased after us? Do you remember that? Do you, do you remember when, when we didn't know which way to go and he led us? Pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Do you remember that? Remember when we were hungry and we didn't know where to find food and God literally put manna in front of us every single morning? Do you remember when we were thirsty and we didn't have water and he had water come out of a stinking rock? Do you guys remember that? Do you remember this? Do you remember when we got, we were, we were going up to the promised land and we hit those huge walls of Jericho and those things were huge and they were unconquerable. We couldn't get through it. Do you remember when we thought that we were going to have to fight a fight that we were unmatched to fight? Do you remember when he just said, walk around it? And then we blew horns and the walls came crumbling down. Do you guys remember these things? And we walked in past walls that were too big for us to breach. Remember the Lord. Do you remember that? Don't forget to remember. Because you're not that much different. Do you remember who you were before you met Jesus? Do you remember, do you remember where you were? Do you remember what it was like when you were lost and broken? Do you, re, do you remember what it what it was like before you knew that God loved you and that he had a plan for you? Do you remember how you lived? Do you remember? Do you remember? Don't forget to remember the Lord. Because when you're fighting discouragement, don't forget to remember. And then he says, you fight. You fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. What I love about this is Nehemiah is reminding them again of the why. Because if you lose the why, the what is so easy to give up on. He said, guys, you aren't just rebuilding a wall because we just thought it would look nicer because we're in competition with the next town's wall. We're not just rebuilding a wall for the sake of rebuilding a wall. We are fighting for the safety and security of our families. You fight for your sons and your daughters. You fight for your wives and your families. This wall that we're rebuilding is worth it. So get back up on it. Do the good work that God has set before you fight. Fight by rebuilding this thing. Because when you forget the why, well, the what really doesn't matter. 
Don't forget the why. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that they were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. They all returned to the wall, each to our own work. When you're doing a good work for the Lord, <laughs> don't get overly concerned about what other people should be doing. I was just thinking, I just thought maybe you would just work a little bit harder on your, your part of the wall. Is there like a little hole there? I bet if I just, it's like a Jenga. This is like Jenga over here. I just push on there, it'd probably go right through. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. It's work a little, is, anybody, is anybody watching this? I mean, I certainly am, right? Because when we feel that it is our job to make sure that other people are doing what they should be doing, then we are failing to do what only we should be doing. Let me say that one more time, because I think some of you were not offended. <laughs> when we feel that it is our job to make sure that other people are doing what they should be doing, then we are failing to do what only we should be doing. Come on, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I knew you'd get it. <laughs> I'm telling you, make sure that you're working on the portion of wall that God has set in front of you and don't worry so much about what they are doing or what they're not doing or what they should be doing or they just need somebody to help them and watch over them and tell them what they should be doing. All right, I'll move on. Verse, <laughs> verse 16. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. And those who carried materials did their work, this is really interesting, with, did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. It's like an open carry nation. Um, and, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. They're building with one hand and they're battling with the other. Someone in here needs to hear this. Um, there are times when the promises of God will require you to fight for them. Rebuilding a wall or a relationship is not a passive thing it will many times require you to fight. And in Christianity, we hold this tension all the time in our spiritual walk between like faith and works, words and deeds, God's will and our obedience to it. I just want to remind you that God's promises, prophetic words, dreams, visions will many times require something of you. God is not a fortune teller or a tarot card reader who tells you your fate. He doesn't hand out daily horoscopes or fortune cookies. Many times the promises of God will require you to contend for them. You will have to fight for your families, fight for your purity, fight for your marriage. Like, 
it will require something of you, that his promises require us to take hold of them, to walk into them, to defend them, to take back the, the stolen ground, and to do something about it. Why don't you stand with me? Verse 20 says this. It's interesting, this extra, the last few verses of this chapter four. He says, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So the sound of the trumpet is a reminder. You are not alone. You may be working on your wall but you are not alone. You have a purpose and you have a calling, but your purpose and your calling is not only individual, it is corporate. It says when they heard the sound of the trumpet, they were to come together. And that's the beauty of the family of God, the body of Christ, that you are not alone. And then he reminds them, not only are you not alone in this walk going upstream in a culture that's trying to push you downstream. Not only are you not alone in the family of God, he says, our God will fight for us. It's like he's reminding the Israelites of Deuteronomy chapter one, verse 29 says this, therefore I said to you, do not be terrified. And then he says it again, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. You are not alone. In verse 22, he ends and he says, at that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor, nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. Can I encourage you in this? And I'll leave you with this. The Lord will fight for you, but don't take off your armor. Don't take off your armor. Ephesians 6 says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord and fight, stand your ground, commit to your wall again. Because you're not alone. Not only are you not alone in the family of God, there's another in the fire. Your God will fight for you. So Jesus as we just commit today to say, Lord, I've been distracted by haters. I've been distracted by discouragement. I choose today to get back on the wall. I choose today to not allow the, the haters and the naysayers and my own internal insecurities to hold me back from the wall that you've placed me on. Because as far as I'm concerned, you haven't called me off of it. And so, Jesus, I commit, I contend for your promises today. I contend for, for my promises, and I'm going to fight for my families, and I fight for 
your daughters and your sons and your wives and your families, Lord, may we not lose track of the why in the midst of all of the what that is going on in our world today. Lord, we thank you for that reminder to remember you. Remember what you've done in our past so we can have faith that you want to do it again in our future. And we are not alone. As we sing this today, I just pray that this would, maybe for you, maybe it's for the first time you've ever done this, of just saying, I'm going to take these words, words that are on a screen of a song, and make them my heart's prayer to the Lord. To remind myself again that I'm not alone and the good work that he's placed me on is not worth coming off of because of the why that he's placed me there. In Jesus' name, have your way as we worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.